Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love Words for Granted, you can support the podcast by becoming a member on Himalaya. Himalaya is a new and awesome app where you can stream your favorite podcasts and support your favorite podcasters all on the same platform. Additionally, Himalaya has a chat room feature within the app where you can talk with other fans of the podcast and directly to me. I just posted a bonus episode this week, and it's about the controversy of Webster's third new international dictionary of the English language. I'm still putting bonus content up on patreon.com slash words for granted, so if you'd rather go that route, you can. You can also make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash words for granted. Lots of thank yous this time around. Thanks to Pete, Cindy, Melissa, Poppy, Zach, Robat, and Karen for your contributions. Okay, let's get right on to today's show, part five in a series on kinship terms. The cultural institution of marriage is ancient. The earliest known record of an official union between one man and one woman dates all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia, the world's first river valley civilization. After this Mesopotamian landmark in roughly 2350 BCE, the institution of marriage began to emerge in most major civilizations across the globe. But in spite of the nearly 4,500 year history of the institution of marriage, the ultimate origins of the English word wife are disputed. Linguists have reconstructed the word's Proto-Germanic etymological ancestor as Wiba or Wiban, but beyond that reconstruction, the word cannot be traced back to an obvious Proto-Indo-European root word. For those who might not know, Proto-Germanic was the first Germanic language from which all subsequent Germanic languages are derived, and Proto-Indo-European was the first Indo-European language from which all subsequent Indo-European languages are derived. English is a Germanic language, and all Germanic languages are Indo-European. Regardless of where it came from, that reconstructed Proto-Germanic root word, Weba, or Weban, I'll stick with Weba for the remainder of this episode, did not explicitly mean wife, but woman in general. The word woman is unique to English, and we'll look at its emergence in the language later on. Now, even though Weba is a distinctly Germanic root word, it's not universally distributed among all the Germanic languages. This should strike us as odd, because basic vocabulary words like man and woman are usually pretty consistent across daughter languages within a language family. However, in Gothic, a now extinct Eastern Germanic language, there's no evidence of a single word derived from the Proto-Germanic word Weba. In Gothic, the word for both woman and wife is Kina, 
which is derived from Gwen, the reconstructed Proto-Indo-European word for woman. If that feels like a lot of information to wrap your head around right off the bat, it is. Today's narrative is held together by a complex web of several intertwined word histories, and I've tried my best to assemble the puzzle pieces coherently. I think the best place to start our investigation of the word wife is actually with that Proto-Indo-European root word gwen, a word that is etymologically completely unrelated to the word wife. In just a few minutes, I think it'll become apparent why this is a logical starting point for our story. As already stated, the Proto-Indo-European word gwen meant woman. It passed into many Indo-European language families, such as Balto-Slavic, Celtic, Armenian, Indo-Iranian, and Greek, among others. Although the pronunciations of Gwen's derivatives greatly vary across these languages, their meanings remained conservative. They meant woman, occasionally doubling for the word wife. The ancient Greek form of this word was guna, and via French via Latin, that Greek root passed into English and a handful of words pertaining to women. Gynecology, literally the study of woman, comes from this Greek root, and so does misogyny, literally the hatred of woman. The Greek guna is also the root of polygyny, meaning more than one wife, which is not to be confused with polygamy, which means more than one marital partner, husband or wife. The second half of polygamy comes from gamos, the Greek word for marriage, and is etymologically unrelated to guna, the Greek word for woman. Anyway, there's one more important language family that the Proto-Indo-European root word gwen passed into that I didn't mention on that initial list, and that language family is Germanic. This, as we know, is the language family to which English belongs. Now, Literally a minute or two ago, I said that the word wife was a distinctly Germanic word with a Proto-Germanic linguistic ancestor that probably sounded like Weba, and that Weba meant woman. So, were there two Proto-Germanic words for woman? Yes, there were. The Gwen-derived Proto-Germanic word for woman has been reconstructed as quonis, the shift from an initial hard G sound in Proto-Indo-European to a hard K sound in Proto-Germanic is a predictable sound shift first described in the famous Grimm's Laws. Well, famous if you're into historical linguistics, anyway. Like Weba, Quonis also doubled as a word for wife. With the exception of Gothic, Germanic languages have historically inherited etymological derivatives of both Quonis and Weba. That Gothic word for woman that I mentioned earlier, kina, is indeed a direct descendant from the Proto-Germanic quonis. Old English is indeed one of those Germanic languages that inherited both Proto-Germanic words for woman. By the time weba and quonis had passed into Old English, they were pronounced weif and quen, respectively, and they both meant woman. If you're thinking that quen sounds like queen, you're right. This word would eventually evolve into the word queen as we know it today, and replace the original Old English word for queen. The original word for queen, meaning a king's wife, was kininge. Kininge was the feminine form of the word kining, which is where we get the word king from. 
In most Indo-European languages, the words for king and queen are usually the same word, but with a different grammatical ending, to reflect the appropriate gender. Old English fits this conventional mold, but modern English is an anomaly for having etymologically unrelated words for king and queen. If you're wondering how a generic word meaning woman came to mean the most royal wife in a kingdom, I'm right there with you. The logic is unclear, even to scholars specializing in Old English. By the way, since queen ultimately derives from that Proto-Indo-European root word gwen, it's ultimately cognate with gynecology and misogyny. So far, our discussion has largely revolved around words meaning woman, not wife. Even though, historically, Indo-European words for woman and wife were often interchangeable, these two concepts are not the same thing. So where does the word woman, which refers to a female human being regardless of her marital status, come from? The English word woman actually derives from the word wife, or at least its Old English form, weif, which again meant woman. Let's break this down. The modern English word woman derives from the Old English construction weifman, literally woman-man. Over time, the F sound in the word eroded and the pronunciation of the initial vowel changed. The pronunciation of the plural form, women, preserves an initial vowel sound closer to the original word. Anyway, why would the word for a biologically female human need to be combined with the suffix man? And why did Old English speakers find the word weef inadequate to express the basic idea of a biologically female human? For starters, the Old English word man, predecessor of the modern English word man, was often used to mean human being, in addition to meaning a biologically male human. We still have this sense in words like manslaughter, man-hours, and most significantly, mankind. As it turns out, this generic sense of man as human, regardless of sex, is the word's original sense. The word man's association with biologically male humans came later. In its earliest days, English distinguished man and woman with the terms were and weef, respectively. That original word for man, were, is strangely enough preserved in the word werewolf. A werewolf is a man-wolf. Whereas the term mankind might seem patriarchal to us today, and in practice it is, etymologically, the word is an Old English construction that predates the strong association between the word man and male humans. Knowing this, we can interpret the word weef-man as woman-human instead of woman-man, but it still seems like a completely unnecessary construction, especially when Old English already had two words, weef and quain, that meant woman. Etymologist Anatoly Lieberman suggests that the emergence of the new word weefman is probably due to the specialization of the meanings of weef and quain, and I agree. We don't know why or how these specializations occurred, but weef eventually came to mean a married woman, the meaning of wife as we use it today, and quain came to mean a woman married to the king. In the wake of these specializations, there arose a semantic void for the generic term for a woman, hence wifman. Interestingly, 
Quen also produced another English word. That word is queen, but spelled Q-U-E-A-N. Even though this queen is pronounced just like the word for a king's wife, and even though they derive from the same root, Q-U-E-A-N is not just a variant spelling of Q-U-E-E-N. In Old, Middle, and even Early Modern English, a queen, spelled Q-U-E-A-N, was a hussy or prostitute. It appears in this sense as part of the Old English compound portquene, literally a public woman, which indeed was the Old English word for prostitute. It's striking that this word quain, a word that in early Old English originally just meant woman, came to have such semantically different derivatives. One of its derivatives came to mean the most noble woman in the land, and the other the most ignoble. That's noble and ignoble in air quotes, by the way. If I had to guess, the sense of queen referring to the king's wife came first, and then the less reputable sense meaning prostitute evolved as a form of ironic derision. It's worth mentioning that the C word, yes, that dirtiest of all English monosyllables, may ultimately derive from the same Proto-Indo-European root as queen too. It's not a direct etymological sibling of queen, as it comes from its own reconstructed Proto-Germanic root word, but many linguists have ultimately linked that proto-form to the Proto-Indo-European word gwen. Unlike queen, it was inherited by Proto-Germanic through a different line of etymological descent. The history of the C word is a long and tangential story that maybe I'll cover in detail in another episode, but for now, I'll just leave you with that. Unlike modern English, Old English had grammatical gender, that is, a system of classifying nouns as masculine, feminine, or neuter. Given the erosion of grammatical gender in modern English, there's an important aspect of the Old English word weef that's lost on us today. Weef is a grammatically neuter word. Now, as most of you probably know, grammatical gender doesn't necessarily correspond to the inherent gender characteristics of things in the real world, but in languages that do have grammatical gender, the word for man is typically a masculine noun, and the word for woman is typically a feminine noun. That much is common sense. Surprisingly, few etymological studies of the word wife have commented on the word's illogical grammatical gender. In order to offer a plausible etymology for the word weef, and ultimately its Proto-Germanic predecessor, one must explain why in the world it's a neuter noun, or how it became a neuter noun. Spoiler alert, no one has a great answer. Let's take a look at some of the attempts to explain wife's ultimate etymology. One etymology of wife derives it from the Proto-Indo-European word weep, meaning to twist, turn, or wrap. Now how does that make any sense? In many Western Indo-European cultures, it was customary for a woman to be veiled at her wedding, and hence wrapped. According to this etymology, a wife, which, again, before its semantic shift, just meant woman, is literally one who is wrapped. However, this etymology leaves something to be desired because English already had a specialized word for a woman on the day of her wedding, veiled or not. That word is bride a word with a long history in both English and the Germanic languages at large. Like wife, 
Its ultimate etymology is unknown, but regardless, bride and all of its cognates have always meant bride. Furthermore, it's more common for general words to become specialized than for specialized words to become generalized. So I think it's unlikely that a word that essentially meant bride would have become the generic word for woman. It's not impossible, but in order to take this theory seriously, I think we need more historical linguistic evidence. Another etymology of wife, and perhaps the most popular one, derives it from the Proto-Indo-European root word gwib, which meant shame. Supporters of this etymology connect this shameful root word to the female genitalia, suggesting a parallel to the Latin word pudendum, which derives from a word meaning shame and referred to a woman's private parts. This Latin word was borrowed into English in the 14th century and was popular in the early modern English era as a euphemism for, yes, the vagina. Now, I'd be willing to buy into this etymology on a semantic basis, as the Indo-European culture has a long history of patriarchal misogyny, but from a historical linguistic perspective, I don't think it's very convincing. The Proto-Indo-European gwibch is indeed a neuter noun, which could account for the grammatical gender of the Old English wif and its other Germanic cognates, but the only convincing cognates of gwib whose meanings are related to genitalia are found in Tocharian. Tocharian is a long-dead, little-known Indo-European language that was spoken in the Tarim Basin and Lop Desert in China. It is the easternmost Indo-European language currently known. Tocharian attests the words quipe and keep, which meant penis and vagina, respectively, and those words derive from that Proto-Indo-European root word guib, which meant shame. However, if these East Asian Indo-European words are indeed cognate with the Germanic proto-form of wife, we would expect to see other forms of the word attested in some of the Indo-European languages geographically between Asia Minor and the region of medieval Germania, but this is not the case. Now, on to our last etymology, one proposed by the distinguished Oxford etymologist Anatoly Lieberman in a 2011 article. His line of reasoning is inherently a little difficult to follow, so I'll do my best to make it clear. Lieberman draws a connection between Wief and the Germanic goddess Sif. Sif was a Germanic patroness of kinship, and her name is cognate with another word we've examined in this series on kinship terms, sibling. Sif is believed to derive from the Proto-Germanic Sib, which referred to any people related by kinship using the semantic relationship between the kinship goddess Sif and the word Sib as his model, Lieberman proposes that Wief derives from a Proto-Germanic word that sounded like Wieb. Note that that's different than the more widely accepted proto-forms Wieba and Wieban that we've discussed throughout this episode. Lieberman theorizes that the unattested word Wieb referred to descendants who trace their ancestry to the same woman. In other words, a more specialized form of the word sib. If this is true, then weeb would have been a neuter noun, because it refers to a group comprising males and females. In Old English, mixed-sex groups were grammatically neuter. Over time, this word referring to descendants of a woman simply came to mean woman. If Sif, the goddess of kinship, could be derived from sib, a word meaning kin, 
then weef could be derived from weeb, a word meaning kin tracing their ancestry back to the same woman. The weakness of this etymology lies in the fact that etymological descendants of this protoform weeb that reflect this proposed meaning are unattested in the record, so the whole theory exists in the realm of pure conjecture. I also find it to be a bit of a stretch, but again, not impossible. So, at the end of this episode, have we come to any certain conclusions about the ultimate etymology of wife? Absolutely not. But I hope you found the pursuit fun and illuminating nonetheless. In the absence of any concrete answers, I still feel like I learned a ton while researching this episode, and I hope you did too. Okay, if you love the show, again, check out the bonus content I'm offering through the Himalaya app. Even if you can't become a member, I still encourage you to check out Himalaya because it is one of the coolest podcasting apps out there right now. If you prefer to get the bonus content through Patreon, that still works. And I encourage you to leave a rating and review on whatever podcast player you use because those reviews really help the show grow and they give me feedback about how I can make the show better. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted. And you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. I'll catch you next time here at Words for Granted. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.